0: everyone. I am Siri Baith, Executive Director of CFRI, the Cystic Fibrosis Research Institute, and it is my honor and my pleasure to welcome you to what will definitely be an engaging and inspiring conversation about the phenomenal documentary film, Salt in My Soul. Before we get started, I have to say anything that is shared in this uh, webinar should not be used as medical advice uh, for diagnosis or treatment before you make any changes in your healthcare plan, please consult with your healthcare team. I also want to thank our sponsors whose support has made this webinar possible. Vertex Pharmaceuticals, Gilead Sciences, Kiasu USA, Genentech, and Beatrice. But I do want to say a special thank you to Vertex Pharmaceuticals whose sponsorship of the Salt and My Soul project with CFRI enabled us to share thousands of download codes so that our international CF community could watch this incredibly powerful film. So we do want to acknowledge vertex for that sponsorship. So today, I am so honored that, uh, to have this incredible panel with us today for this conversation, and we will discuss the powerful impact of salt in my soul. So first, I want to introduce Diane Shader-Smith. Diane is a writer, speaker, publicist, cystic fibrosis fundraiser, and advocate for bioethics, phage therapy, and solutions to antimicrobial resistance. After her daughter, Mallory Smith, died at 25 from a superbug infection secondary to her cystic fibrosis, Diane compiled and edited Mallory's journal journal entries, uh, which were published by Random House as the book, Salt in My Soul, An Unfinished Life. Diane now travels the country and the globe speaking about her daughter's writing, the challenges of life with a chronic illness, organ transplant, phage therapy, and antimicrobial resistance. Welcome, Diane. Thank you. We're also fortunate to have the director of Salt In My Soul with us, Will Battersby. Will is a partner at Reno Production, the New York film, television, and theater production company that owns and operates the West Side Theater. He has been making films for at least 15 years, uh, and he both documentaries and features. He has many credits, and we could use a lot of this to to list them, so I'll just choose a few. Uh, Trumbo, Stephen King's A Good Marriage, and the Oscar-nominated documentary film Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room. His films have played at major international film festivals such as Toronto and South by Southwest, and released worldwide in January 2022, Salt of My Soul is Will's second documentary as director. Welcome, Will. Thank you. And we are also fortunate to have with us Dr. Rebecca Mueller, a historian of medicine, medical ethnographer, and licensed genetic counselor. Rebecca has a master's in genetic counseling and completed her PhD in the history and sociology of science at the University of Pennsylvania, where she's now a fellow in ethical, legal, and social implications of genetics and genomics within the Department of Medical Ethics and Health Policy. Her dissertation used cystic fibrosis as a case study of new diagnostic technologies, risk and sociality. Her next project investigates the impact of genetic diagnoses on individuals' conceptions of time and the future. Welcome, Becca. One thing, we're going to get started, and I should say that anybody who is with us today, we welcome you, and if you have questions, please feel free to put them in the Q&A box. Um, That will be easier if it's the Q&A box, not the chat box, to to keep track. But I'm going to get us started. I have a long list of questions because I have so much I want to know. And first and foremost, where did the idea of this documentary, making a film from that incredible book of Mallory's Writings. Where did, what was the genesis of this, Diane? Was it your idea? Will, did you read the book and approach Diane? What's the story behind
1: that? Well, you go ahead, Diane.
2: Well, I'll start with the first half and then you take it from there. So when, before the book even came out, um, a renowned documentary team had come along and they wanted to make the film and they optioned it early on. And then they were tapped to do something else and they were, you know, 50, 50, about whether they were gonna get the chance to complete it. And so Richard Avati, who's the agent who represented Mallory's book, I called him up and I said, you know, I really don't wanna just rely on somebody who's ambivalent. I really actually would like to walk away. And I said, if you can get us out of this deal, please do, because there was no ill intent on anybody's part. And then three days later I got the call and I will now pass the baton to Will, the call saying I have the best director who's way, the most perfectly situated and I cannot tell you what transpired between that like Friday and the following Monday. So I'll let Will answer at that point.
1: It was very simple. So uh, Richard called me and said, I have a book that I think would make an amazing documentary. I need you to read it right away. He sent me the book. I read it in one sitting, was completely blown away by it. Um, And I think the thing that, you know, hooked me initially is the story. You know, because very often, you know, in documentaries, you're making it about a subject, you're not telling a story. And so I I saw in this this extraordinary, um, you know, this this gripping tale, you know, a coming of age story with this kind of very tragic twist to it, you know, but um, that was really ultimately very kind of hopeful and full of life, you know, even though it it obviously ends in in Mallory's death. And um, was just completely smitten with the story. You know, I I didn't come from the CF world at all. Um, You know, I kind of vaguely knew what it was. Um, But, you know, called Richard up and said, I think you're absolutely right. And he put me on the phone with Diane and began the process of me having to woo Diane um, to let me make the movie, you know, because I think she quite rightly felt like the, you know, Mallory's writing was a kind of um, a hole, you know, that the diamond had been formed, right? And I think that you know, it took a little bit of persuading to really kind of open her up to the idea of of this film. And, you know, and, and during that process, I got to understand what a treasure trove of stuff there really was, you know, that it wasn't just Mallory's journal that, you know, continued to exist. There were all sorts of extraordinary pieces of audio and everything. So I, I kind of knew at that point that this could be a terrific film.
0: Well, I imagine for you, Diane, I mean, you had to have such trust uh, of- that somebody would take Mallory's story. And I am curious, what was the most challenging part for you of seeing Mallory's words and then all that treasure trove of footage um, brought to the screen?
2: Well, back backtracking to your first part of your question about the trust, it isn't like some renowned director like Will calls up and says, I wanna make the film and all of a sudden you have trust. It's, that's the beginning of the, that's where the lack of trust starts and the trust has to be earned over time. And I used to harass Will by calling him and saying, what are you making this film about? What's this film about? What are we doing? What are we doing? I don't know if you remember all those calls, Will. Okay. <laughs> Inevitably, okay. I, I swim early in the mornings in memory of Mallory. And um, I would go into the pool and I'd ruminate and I'd be swimming and I'd be like, what's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? Because I knew, I knew that um, I would have a very strong point of view, but I didn't know what the film, I didn't sound like I had some vision this should be a film. Richard, the agent early on said, this should be a limited series. It should be a documentary. There's so much material here. And I always said, it has to be a book first because Mallory was a writer and words was the medium that she chose. We have a lot of super active, talented cystic fibrosis patients that we all know that we see, you know, Travis Flores, uh, Kayla, Kayla, Kayla Haber, you know, there's lots of really active CF patients or Claire Wineland who passed away, who was so great on social media. And there are a lot of people, there are people that quilt, there are people that draw, there are people that take photographs, they do blogging. But for Mallory, it really was writing. So I said, and once then once Will entered the picture and he started to talk through what his ideas were, he gained my trust and the thoughtfulness that he brought to the project and the fact that he was really focused on story and not exploiting the the sort of trauma around it. And I remember an early conversation very vividly where he said, I want to put Mallory's death out there, not in a coy. Do you remember this conversation? Will she, won't she die? We need to, we know she's going to die. So it needs to be up out there, you know, but then how do you build the suspense? How do you make people engaged in the story? And he figured out how to do that. So. Um,
1: and, and I have I have a humorous aside, and I can't believe Diane didn't immediately answer your question with this answer. <laughs> I think one of the most challenging aspects for Diane was seeing herself on screen. Oh. And I used to get calls. It, it would I'd always know what it was what it would be about. There'd always be a little pause before you say, you know, I'd like you to reconsider cutting me out of the film completely. I should not be in this movie. This should just be Mallory. You know, so and of course, we all know those of us who have seen the film, what a, you know, what a terrible tragedy that would have been had we not had Diane on screen. So,
0: I have to say, as the mother of a, an adult with cystic fibrosis, and every time I see when you're in the room with her and they're going to take her away and you look up and you nod, I, I, I literally, tears come every single time. It is Me
2: too, me like, too. Even just emotional. now in the trailer. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and Becca. As a viewer of the film versus somebody intimately involved in the creation of the film, and as a member of the CF community, what was your response at both an emotional but also intellectual level um, watching this film?
3: So the film blew me away and I immediately shared it with my close family members. And I think that is what meant so much to me that this is something that I wanted to share broadly and that I knew would resonate with my whole family. Um, who didn't really grow up with that much contact with the CF community. Of course, you know, I have, you know, survivor skills still being here with CF, but more than that. I felt this huge sense of sort of compassion for myself and especially compassion for my younger self as a result of this film. Mallory's words in the way the film is done captures this kind of insane challenge of having a body that is such a finite resource in a period of life where you're sort of oftentimes pushed to like take that for granted and, you know, burn the candle at both ends. And I think as someone who's experienced a lot of guilt over the years around decisions that were not, you know, ideal for my health, having Mallory, I mean, she, she says every decision has a life or death significance. And and that's what I live with. And to have that articulated and put out there. Yeah, it just gave me a sense of compassion. Like this is an impossible tension to, to, to get perfect. Um, and so I really appreciated that on kind of the emotional level. And then intellectually, right? Like I study how people plan a future in light of a changing prognosis. And so again, to see a story that's so amazingly articulated that um, was huge for me and has you know certainly helped my work.
0: So I can't, I could never have done this because I don't know how you pick and choose what to include and what not to include. And so, you know, Will, how did you decide what to include and probably more agonizingly what to exclude? And how was that, you know, was there a partnership with you, Diane, about things you really felt strongly should be there?
2: I mean, Should
1: we talk about from- this? i am just, <laughs> for the record, I'm only 21. <laughs> I was 18 when I started this film and that no no um yeah look it's it's the hardest thing to do in a film you know and and you have so many you know of your 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 babies right that you kind of um you know that you're completely in love with and you're convinced you could never cut them out of the film um you know and you know it it's it's you know, I've never been as collaborative with um, a subject in a documentary as I was with Diane on this film, you know, and it it was a very, um, it was an odd time because it was during lockdown. And I think that was one of the reasons I was probably more receptive to it. I think I probably would have tried to, you know, keep her at arm's length a little bit more than I did. Um, You know, but it's also true. And Diane says this to me all the time is, you know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know when you go into these projects, right. And, um, you know, having a, Having a resource like Diane was invaluable, you know she was also very much the um the keeper of the treasure trove, you know, so there were all sorts of extraordinary moments where we'd be talking about something and she would say, "Oh, well, you know it's like for instance, the the footage of Mallory's surgery. Diane hadn't realized that I'd never seen it, and Diane had never actually watched it, she knew it existed, she knew she had it, but we were looking at a news article that had used it, and I said, "Oh, that's amazing um stock footage of a surgery i, I love to find out whether and she said oh no that was Mallory's surgery you know we were quite far into the project of that when you think of how how impactful that is in the film um you know so so in that sense it was really invaluable um and I think the the best the organizing principle I think we Diane and I agreed on it very early on was the more you have of Mallory the better right and the more we you know I always knew I wanted Mallory as narrator you know as soon as I read the book I thought oh I wonder if I could pull off is there enough to have this young woman narrate her own story? Um, And I think that actually is what creates that strange tension in the film. You know, a lot of very smart people have said to me, oh, I was convinced she wasn't gonna die at the end of this film, you know, even though the film starts literally with the card that says she dies. Um, And I think having her so present, you know, and speaking in the present tense so much um, helps that. So that was a very early organizing principle for us. And then, you know, for me, a big moment came when I realized I wanted to take out all of the opinion and really just leave story and character and let everybody else have their opinions. So there's a very, you know, there's a very famous story from the book about a fight with the insurance company, you know, and as, and as a good died in the wool liberal, I was like, okay, let's stick it to the insurance company, guys. And and it was in the film, if you remember, Diane, for the longest time, you know, and I thought it was an important, dramatic moment. And and I I slowly realized, actually, it's not half as dramatic as just what was happening in this family's life, you know? And, and so it, it actually, it was going to be a sort of pivotal act break in, in the structure of the film for me. And as soon as I took it out, you know, the structure actually made a lot more sense and it was a lot easier for viewers. And I think, um, yeah, so those were the sort of the, the key, I think the key moments for me, Diane, sorry, I'm rambling. You Go oh, ahead. No.
2: no, I mean, I think that ramble is exactly what people are interested in. I think the process of how you bring something together is very personal and everybody has a different sensibility about what's important and what's not. One of the things that was most interesting for me is that some of the stuff that's in the film and some of the stuff that got cut is not how Mallory reported it in her journal or how I remembered it in life. And Will and I would have some battles over, I would say, but that's not what happened. And he would say, that's not how you remember it happening. That's their reality. That's their how they remember. So it, it brought up a lot of conversations about how you remember things, how you document them. And even now I hear people st- tell stuff and I'm like, I-, I don't always say it out loud, but it's like, I know that's not what went down because I read it. And Mallory in her journal, I have to believe was recording in real time. Um, and it was for sort of a joke with her friends in the beginning was like, oh my God, Diane's reading the journal. Like she's gonna spill all the beans about all the stuff that actually happened. And, and there's a lot in there. Um, but at the end of the day, if you listen to me speak, if you read the book, or if you watch Will's film, there are three very, very different retellings of the story. And that has been the most interesting part of the process for me, which is people do bring their own version of life their own ability to articulate the struggles, the challenges, or what the actual points of focus should be. And they're all very different. And so that's what has been really most interesting to me is, is to see how we've been able to do different things with it. So even working on AMR, you know, it started with all being about Mallory's patient insights and my personal agenda about bringing phage therapy to the attention of the cystic fibrosis community and mainstream America and the medical community, since nobody was really aware of it or talking about it when Mallory was able to receive it. And Mark always believed it. It was his vision. It was his passion. He found it. He worked hard to get it. He and Stephanie together. I know you all know Stephanie Strathy, you know, then all the different players. And so it was very important to me that that piece in the story get in. Well, along the way, it was called to my attention first by Gunnar Esiason, who everybody knows, and then some other groups and people, that we had the potential to do so much more than just introduce phage therapy. We had the potential to take the power of the personal story and raise awareness for AMR, which is now where the focus really is. You know, the reality is that the story is not, has not, um, it didn't become an LA Times, I'm sorry, it didn't become a New York Times bestseller. It was an LA Times bestseller, which meant everybody in Los Angeles who reads it knew about it. But in the world of culture and pop culture and content, it's very hard for things to bubble up and for things to find a home and have this evergreen landing space. And because it's a story of a girl who dies ultimately, even though everybody has said the writing is brilliant, the film is amazing, it isn't a story that people necessarily are gonna gravitate towards. So by using it, I sort of decided to redefine how you define success and, the way I define success with this film, with this book, with the talks that I do, is how can we use this story to help patients get better care, to inspire patients to use their voice to get better care, to move the needle and bring phage therapy to the forefront of people's minds so that money is invested, you know, research dollars are spent, people are not afraid of it. And finally, why the whole world has to care, care about AMR and how it's not just a CF or an immune compromised disease, you know, community disease. And by that standards, to me, that's much more meaningful than the fact that it was an LA Times or Amazon bestseller. It's much more meaningful than any of the um, traditional feedback that you would hope to get. And that's, you know, that's because I think as a member of the CF community, even though I have a different perspective now, I'm still very, very attached to this community, and I still talk all the time to people, and I hear their pain and their struggles, and I understand what they're going through, and I know that we need more solutions, however they emerge, and so that's that's what's most important to me.
0: Diane, there's a lot that we can pull out of the many things that you said there, and we are absolutely going to dive into advocacy and antimicrobial resistance and and such, but I want to circle back because I love what you said about the writing how you tell it that everybody's story and perspective is unique because you would think Mallory's writing in real time but it's from Mallory's perspective too so it is just a very interesting thing and linked to the Mallory's story launching something bigger I want to ask Becca the the question because did you find um within our own community That there were people, it's like our community, people with CF, very engaged people loved, loved this film. I found with some family members and friends, like they were almost like, uh, it's so hard for me to watch, which I thought was such a unique thing. I'm like, wait, this is my life. Like that is my fear for my daughter settle in and watch you know it was fascinating and i'm just curious if you had that response or diane if you've had that from other people in the community who not the people with cf but sort of like the family members and friends were trying to educate to like give them this living breathing vision of what it is like living with cf yeah go yeah
3: so i mean i think that what will said about sort of leaving the opinion out and having it be kind of those raw narratives that allows the audience to sort of connect, project, um, is a phenomenal aspect of this film. And so I have to say in comparing sort of my friends who I know more professionally uh, through the genetics world and my friends who I know through the CF community's responses, they are quite different um, in the sense that it's almost like a, a, a breath of relief for people in the CF community to have this story told. There's so many different, you know, this is came out not that long after the sort of fictional story about CF, these depictions that don't really resonate with the day-to-day of living with it. And so I think that it gets so close to that day-to-day, makes it um, resonate in a way that's just completely organic with people who live with this. Whereas it's a lot for other viewers to, to get used to and they come at it from a different vantage point. And so what I find fascinating is the things that professionals watching it kind of pick out and ask about. Um, When we presented at a conference on kind of where a theme of the conference was sort of inequality, there were questions about like bringing resources to a disease and how that relates to this condition. And I thought one of the profound moments was the fact that that's what stood out to this audience that they asked a question, and that our panelists, uh, Diane here and Emily Kramer Golenkoff, said, you know, at the end of the day, when a disease is completely untreatable and there is no drug, no matter how much you apply, how globally you search to, to treat it, that's an inherent form of inequality. And I think that was so valuable for that community of researchers to grasp. And it really happened because of how the film allows them to have their own initial response and then ask the question, so.
0: And I'm sure Will and Diane, you both have been inundated, flooded with letters, emails, comments from people. And I'm just curious if you could share what are the like the strongest themes of, of the messages that have been shared with you?
1: Will, you wanna go next? No, no, I'm gonna let you take this because I, again, sorry, I'm doing my kind of, my humorous sides, but I've never in my entire life as a producer, we were designing the website and we were doing the contacts page. And um, Diane said to me, oh, you should just put my email address up. And I said, no, 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 you don't put your personal email address on a film's website. It's just not done. It's insane, you know, we'll create a generic one for you. And she said, absolutely not. She said throughout her entire, you know, life as a mother advocate in this world she said she wants people to be able to reach her personally and specifically and i honestly thought because you know if the film hits this is she's going to be completely overwhelmed by this but one of my one of my favorite things is getting the forwards from diane she she just sent me a text yesterday from somebody you know because they're always i mean they're always utterly kind of moving and they can be very heartbreaking they can be very very um Profound and extraordinary. I mean, I think the one I shouldn't name where he teaches, but a very eminent professor at a college, whose wife had passed away, not from CF, right? No, but CF. He, it F- was F- CF, CF, And he had left behind writings, and he hadn't been brave enough to read them yet, and so he reached out to Diane for help in literally how he could work himself up to to read these writings. And I mean, you know, sorry, Dave, you should tell some because they're they're really extraordinary, and it's so it's such a privilege, honestly, for me. To be allowed into that, you know, and to have had a tiny part in, you know, eliciting all of that.
2: Well, I I get emails, Facebook notes, Twitter messages, LinkedIn. I hear from people every day, and what's interesting is, um, every once in a while, one really bubbles up, and it makes me want to circulate it. I mean, I have thousands of them. You know, I don't think people are going to write to me and say, "Oh, I didn't like your film. I didn't like your book. I didn't like your daughter story." Oh, sorry. Cooper and Buffy. Sorry, we have a new puppy. <laughs> the, the older dog is not so happy. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, one comes to me. I get a lot of notes of people saying, I am desperate. We are out of options. I need to get phage therapy. My doctor won't even talk about it. I get um, notes saying, I shared your book with my CF care doctor, you know, the CF specialist at my hospital because I want them to make sure that every other patient reads it. I get, um, I get I'm get, i trying to get friends to watch it, but they think it's gonna to be too sad. So I, I definitely absolutely hear that people are afraid of it. I think it's why it has not been more of a quote unquote commercial success, because I think that people are afraid to feel something. And um, this film does make you feel something, whether you knew Mallory or didn't know her, whether you know someone with CF or you don't know someone with CF, how can you not watch a story like this and be moved to emotion? And I have to be honest, when I look at what I'm gonna watch, there are some films when I'm sitting home on a Thursday night at 10 o'clock, trying to unwind after the day, I just can't bring myself to turn it on, but it's okay because we have these other ways to get the information to people. And fortunately through you know, school settings and through panel discussions and through word of mouth, we we are reaching people. Um, I would say the most overarching sentiment that comes up over and over and over and over again is your daughter's writings mirror exactly what it is I'm feeling. I mean, I hear from amputee, um, members of the amputee community. I hear from members of the HIV community. I, I hear from people in the mental health community. I hear from people all over that say the way she articulates her struggles resonates with me because, and then they give me a particular anecdote. I, in in preparation for the AMR work we're doing, which we're really going hard hitting with, I've been listening to the book on tape that's narrated by an actress. And I am five years later having a very different reaction. it's like, wow, like the writing is really, really, really good. And it's not about trying to create a book or sell a film or do anything at all. It's just the words and her words are so incredibly powerful. My favorite parts of Will's film are when Mallory is just talking, when she talks about the burning bird and rising up or um, how she deals with the depression and when she was underwater with the sea turtle. And to your question earlier about how do you know what to cut, when Will put together that sort of brilliant piece where Mallory kind of goes underwater and you see her coming up in somewhere else, you know, there was, we had a lot of discussions about that because, When you make a film, it's very different than when you read a book. In a book, you can kind of go on and on and on and carry people through with your thought and it's okay. In a film, you have to really make sure you cut it very carefully so it doesn't feel like you're being modeling or lingering and all that. And I think he did a brilliant job, which is why I think people do love the film. But I would say overall, the reactions are what propel me forward. Every time I think, okay, I've spoken 200 times, I don't need to talk anymore. Somebody will say, we really want you to come back and speak again, or I really want you to talk to this group and share the story because otherwise people, and people won't know about it otherwise. I mean, everybody in the CF community seems to know about it at by now, but I really strongly feel that the work that we're doing has to, has to transcend the CF community. If only the CF community was worrying about AMR, which it seemed like for a long time, then we would have 30,000 plus. And when we have you know, the stats that we hear from the World Health Organization and the CDC, and we know that resistant bacteria is a problem for all of us, most obviously the disproportionate rates that we are affected by within this community. I think that is very, very important. And that's really my goal at this point.
0: I think This is a question for all three of you. Just a consistent theme for all three of you is really the power of storytelling. in in whatever medium that is. And um, if you could each share your thoughts on, you know, how a personal story can then transform in this case to political advocacy um, in terms of AMR and phage therapy, but just the the power of that personal story to launch to the next thing. And I don't know who wants to jump in first. Becca, you wanna go? Mm
3: -hmm. I think that one of the things that's really interesting about this story coming from the CF community is that the CF community is one that has been disbanded and reformed, right? Aside from CFRI, there haven't always been events and places that people can get a sense of uh, company because of infectious, disease. it's really because of Cepatia. And so I think that scene in the film where Travis Flores is featured going into his third transplant and he can bring very few things with him and have no family members. And he says, one of the things I brought is Mallory's book because it gives me hope and it makes me feel less alone. And I think in the CF community, simply feeling less alone and knowing that these problems and feelings are shared is a huge starting off place of just personal growth, empowerment, feeling that you can have a voice and go to Capitol Hill and talk about AMR and so many other things that affect us. So to me, that's really what's um, central is kind of hope and not being alone and the power of change that it brings.
1: Will? Um, I'll tell a story, I think, rather than sort of pontificate, uh, which happened kind of early on, and I won't name the organization. It was not CFRI uh, because everything they say is interesting. But we were on a call with a group of um, of, uh, doctors, but in sort of, um, you know, private research. And um, it, it what was fascinating is they were talking about the same things that we're interested in right then that we're interested in this film becoming right a, a voice for this very specific community, but also then in showing how the experiences of this community have this extraordinary global significance, right. And he started talking and within 90 seconds I realized I had completely switched off. I was utterly bored and it was because this this very powerful successful doctor telling me what ought to be happening and what should, what you know, and again, and it sort of comes back to that thing, that, that you sort of picked up on is that I, I was like, oh, he's just giving me his opinion, right? And he's telling me how he's gonna make money off this thing and that's fine, right? I don't begrudge anybody that. And I think, you know, unwittingly what I did, right? Um, well, I'll say, I'll, I'll say wittingly, I'll say knowingly what I did is by just allowing a patient, right, a very real human being, right, to speak, Right. And then the people in her life, you know, most, you know, who were most directly affected by her, including her doctors. You know, that's the other thing I think as well about the film that shows is the sort of humanity of doctors, uh, which is often kind of overlooked or, shun- you know, pushed aside. But um, I think it's the, the just the singular power of what patients go through, what CF patients go through is um, is just re- and it's really important to always come back to the patient Right. Because ultimately, and I said this to the doctor, I was very candid. I don't think he likes me anymore. But, you know, you know, I said, look, you're you're doing all of this because you're trying to save that patient. So instead of talking about it, you know, from your perspective constantly. Right. And, and thinking about it from your perspective, go back to the patient, go back to him or her. Like, who is it that you're trying to save? You know, and remember why you're doing what you're doing, which is wonderful and powerful. Um, so that's been one of the huge things for me that I've learned in this. Um, Diane.
2: Um, I also think, Will, you would never say the obvious answer, the power of storytelling. I think your film shows us the power of storytelling because what it's done has enabled us to convene incredible audiences, whether it's patients, patient advocates, parents, doctors, phage therapy centers, medical schools, the White House, Capitol Hill, all of these groups and I just named literally a few of the many 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 and the many upcoming events that having a story sort of lays the back the backdrop for any conversation you want to have so it's just sort of a springboard so that is in my opinion the power of storytelling it is to create an opportunity to talk about things that is that goes beyond sort of facts and figures from from my perspective I always say that every time I go anywhere where there are CF patients, people wanna tell their story. I mean, in my life, I have never met a group of people who are more interested in telling their story and sharing their, sharing their thinking than the CF community. I mean, it happened when I would visit hospitals or people write to me asking how they can share their stories. And I think I was trying to understand and why did Mallory for 10 years write so much? Why is it? And I think it's because, and I, I'll quote Mallory, she said, I used to think you had to do something big to make a difference. Now I think you can do something big or small. And sometimes ways that are small, or that seem small, are actually really big. I mean, I'm paraphrasing it, but that's the gist of it. And writing is an example. You write in your journal, you don't realize it can be a very big thing. But that said, I think because of the limitations this horrific disease has imposed on people, less so now, thanks to Vertex that there's Trikafta, but the limitations that have forced patients to redefine their goals and redefine what success looks like as their lung function decreases or their disease progresses, whether it's the GI symptoms or the sinuses or the lungs or whatever, that the desperate need to recreate themselves, I think that storytelling, writing, photography, any of those mediums that people are using becomes an outlet for people to say to the world, basically, I wanna live. I mean, I may be sick, I may not be able to do much, but I have a voice and I wanna use it. And so, you know, I made the decision I'm gonna be studying at Columbia in the fall under Dr. Reader Sharon in the narrative medicine program, because what I realized is that I have been running around this country as, as I put on my application to, to go there. I'm like, it's like driving without a license. Like I've been doing, I've been practicing this field that I think is so critically important without really having any formal training. So my reason for wanting to do this is because people ask me all the time to help them share their stories. And I wanna make sure that I understand exactly what it is as opposed to sort of, I got dumb luck. I got dumb lucky when Mallory handed me her journals and dumb lucky when Will walked into my life. So I just wanna make sure that I'm adequately prepared. But I say to people all the time when I talk, take a class, take a writing class, take a, you know, take a photography class, do express yourself, do use that power of storytelling, do use your voice. I have friends who are working with contractors on their houses, and they'll say to me, I I can't figure out exactly how to tell them that they're not working the way I want them to work. And I realize that, learning to express yourself is really, really important. And again, I call that storytelling. You know, why is the second toilet in the master bathroom? Well, the whole story of your marriage and the fact that your husband is in there too long, and sometimes it creates tensions. It doesn't really matter what the issue is. It's the story that goes behind it that sort of makes the case for why storytelling is important.
1: And also I'm gonna add one thing and, and, and Joe Paluski was very um, uh, interesting on this. Um, you know, he, he was again saying the same thing that he's never come across a community that was so expressive before and you know I, I personally think you know most art good art is is our way of dealing with our mortality right and you have this community that you know really up until very recently you know it was the death sentence the early death sentence and then but prolonged you know it's it, it, it not fast right then so you come of age right you're you're at you know the adolescence with this is an extraordinary thing and so powerful you know and and, um and 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 i have to say like every single cf patient i've met has been so impressive and actually very mature in a certain way and very kind of um measured you know that they sort of there's a kind of goal orientation right because time is short right and it's what am i going to do you know what am i going to do on this earth and then you have that time to really wrestle with that and think about it, you know, and and that's a really powerful combination. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that it's such a kind of prolific community um, and in such a really kind of fascinating way for me.
2: That's a really, really, really good point because the truth is everybody says to me, are you writing your story or documenting what you're doing? I'm way too friggin' busy to do it. Mallory did not have the luxury of being busy. She had to sit in treatment four times a day for multiple hours at a time ruminating in her mind. And for her, the best way to deal with that was to do this. And that's why it happened. But that is a really good point. Mm -hmm. You just have to, you know, like anything, I think it's what happens to people. I just spoke at the National Amputee Conference. That was really mind blowing because every single member of the amputee community is worried about AMR because those, you know, at the the point of the um, surgery, they're really high risk for infection. And they, they walk around scared to death. I mean, they have to live with their life limiting conditions and they have to worry that they're going to get this other secondary infection. And so we talked about the fact that when you have extra time, how do you use it? And if you are able to turn that time into something productive, it, it feels better. It feels better than, you know, watching TV all the time because- that doesn't necessarily. I mean, it can be entertaining and pass the time, but it doesn't feel as good as when you actually do something productive.
0: Becca, do you want to speak to that? I mean, there is sort of the, um, it's not quite cliche, but the old soul, and you know, I certainly can say my daughter Tess has said she absolutely, she was sure she would not live past forty. It was somehow she had that internalized, I, you know, that number, and you know, it is a shift now because she is one of the lucky ones who can take trikafta so she it is a shift of a a mindset but i think you know becca whenever we're together in a group it's i'm so and so i'm this old and i have cf i mean every almost every group starts off sharing your age because the older you are it's this gift to share with everybody
3: It is, and and so many people remember that moment of learning that CF is lethal, learning the median life expectancy, half the items behind me, these Japanese wishing dolls. I wished on a doll that, you know, there'd be a cure for CF when I made it to 29, and it seemed like maybe I didn't need the cure, I was surviving. Everybody made more wishing dolls. I mean, it is such a part of life to try to get beyond what you're told is, is possible, Um, And in my work, as I finally became a part of the CF community and interviewed so many people, I started to think of this phenomena as prognostic imagination. What do we hope, dream, fear, and also plan for our lives, given an evolving prognosis? Mm. And there really is this aspect of kind of imagination and what we're told, and then the reality of what's happening with progression and our bodies and that constant revisiting of, yeah, how much time you have in the long-term, but also day-to-day. People with CF have huge time demands. So being able to, yeah, write the, write the journal entries while she's doing her treatment, you know, that's a way to reclaim some of it. And I think as I study CF and move on to focus on other conditions, kind of like Dan was saying, this really resonates, this idea of having something life-limiting that is moving and having to constantly change your plan, your hopes, your dreams is really, I think, kind of the essence of living with CF that obviously has a, a broader resonance.
2: Well, every community, everybody everywhere always talks about resilience, resilience, resilience. Well, there is no more resilient community than the CF community because nobody has really tested the way this community is. So now, because we're
0: getting around the corner on the clock, I really do want to talk about how this film has launched beyond cystic fibrosis and to the broader topic of phage therapy and antimicrobial resistance and the need for new solutions to that. So Diane, can you share where this film has now taken you mm. the path of advocacy?
2: Well, we're using it with a lot of the groups to try to get the Pasteur Act passed because There have been other pieces of legislation, but not that are as expansive and as broad and as bipartisan. They're making, I think I mentioned before, they're signing members of Congress on in pairs to make sure that it transcends party lines, which is the only way to get anything passed these days. And so I have been to England, going back again in the fall to Oxford and to Cambridge, been invited to Australia, doing talks at the American Medical Writers Association, speaking at the International AMR Congress. Um, just got invited to speak about patient advocacy at the national education or national engineering science and medicine committee or group in DC, all kinds of things. And each time I consider it an unbelievably lucky, you know, a stroke of good luck to have Mallory's words, Will's film, to be able to try to do something to make a difference, you know, as I say, it's not just CF patients that want their lives to matter. I think when you have watched your daughter die, and the only thing, oh, we lost our, <laughs> we lost our host. Um, uh, when you've watched your daughter die and you know that she has wisdom that will help others, it's sort of a natural propeller forward.
1: You you left out Congress, the United States Congress, Diane. Congress,
2: Congress. yes,
1: yes. Just yes. then.
2: <laughs> okay so is that our cue that we're supposed to wrap up or are we waiting for siri i, to I think
1: we 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 are supposed to keep going for another five minutes i think it's supposed to be 50 minutes long um okay
2: so will i have a suggestion do you want to tell people listening no why not you're, you're good at that Are you
1: going t- to ask to me to pitch my next project
2: no no i was oh, going to ask please. you i was going to ask you to sort of give some advice to people who maybe words is not their medium, but they have an iPhone and they are interested in documenting with the documentary filter, because I think you, you could probably give some advice there.
1: uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if anybody is interested, they can definitely reach out to me. Um, but, um, yeah, I, one of the things I've actually, I, I've been, you know, we talked about it early on um, is, you know, one of the, the things that Steven Spielberg did for um, at the Shoah Foundation, you know, in, in collecting testimony, and this may be over to you, Becca, this may be you, you know, it could be really a fascinating thing to collect the testimony from the CF community, you know, and, and really kind of have a kind of, you know, particularly as the trajectory of the disease changes, you know, there's this sort of moment, isn't there now, where suddenly that outlook, right, and that that sentence is definitely, is being commuted, right, in a lot of cases. Um, and that would be a that would be a very interesting thing to document, I think, you know, so even if it, they weren't for, you know, public broadcast or distribution, um, you know, I love, uh, I forget, what's the NPR show where people, you know, actually, this would be a nice thing for people to do if they are interested in this, is to have someone interview them, you know, because it's sometimes very hard to just say everything you've ever thought but you know if if you're talking to somebody um you know that's a very nice way to document things um and and remember you know my my uncle did this with my grandparents they weren't in the cf community but they interviewed each of them you know in their older years and so we have you know like a sort of 100 page document of just an oral interview about their childhoods and you know those and that I, i think can be a very moving thing for families to have you know, um, and and a very good way too, if, you know, if there's any communication kind of um, hiccups, you know, about it, if there's nervousness in talking about it, it, can be a very good way to just, you know, a therapeutic way to really kind of share stories and feelings about experience. Um, we were trying to keep this going, Siri, in an interesting well, way without
0: you. Are fantastic, and everybody's watching, I'm sorry, that was the classic internet, completely crashed, computer crashed, had to find another computer. <laughs>
2: But the funny thing is that you went from your office to a beach somewhere, and I'm trying to figure out where you are. If I thought about it,
0: I would have made my background the same, but you know, here we are. <laughs> this is live webinaring, people, in the age of Zoom. So thank you for your patience. So, did you have um, what I did want to actually ask people? Did you ever have questions that you have not asked one another that you would want to know? Becca, do you have a question that you'd like to ask either Will or Diane?
3: I guess I just wonder, and you've spoken to this a little bit, but what it was like to pick up this story that in some ways was so unknown and different from how Mallory kind of presented herself. I think that's one of the things that's so profound and that makes the book just such a lesson in kind of isolation, and what we choose to share and not share. Um, And I got a good sense of Mallory's choices in in, in deciding to to do it that way. But I still can't quite imagine what it must've been like for you, you know, to pick up the text and to see that side that she hadn't always been articulating.
2: Well, I will say, you know, we all have our regrets. I wish I could stop the clock, turn it back and start all over knowing everything I know now. And that has been very painful um, but that said, Mallory made a choice and she, you know, Will and I might, well, so first of all, my sister early on said to me when I was putting together the entries for the, for the written work, she said, you have to put in the mother daughter dynamic. You have to put in some of the stuff she wrote about you. And I said, she didn't write it about me. And it's not that she didn't feel it necessarily. It's that she knew instinctively that I was going to read it, do something with it. And she made the decision to spare me that, even though, you know, the, the my very strong memories are we'd have a fight, she'd slam the door, she'd go off and start pounding. And I kept thinking this journal is just going to be filled with hate towards her mother. That's what I really thought. But, you know, clearly she didn't have, that's not how she felt. And she made this decision. And, and I think to the old soul comment, Siri, that you made earlier, yes, most CF patients are old souls. And I think that her understanding that her life was going to be cut short made her the, made her decide not to include things that would be hurtful. She very often would express her gratitude. In the book, I was listening last night when I was walking, she says, you know, if I die, and it's the whole part where she talks about, she, she's not suicidal, but sometimes she thinks it would be easier if her life just ended. And then my parents would get her life back. And sometimes I look at Mark and I say, we got our life back. Like, do you want this life? And we both we both jokingly say, no, we want to be back. I want to be back sleeping in the hospital or should I say not sleeping in the hospital with the bells beeping at 6 a.m. with the doctors not responding and the anger and the frustration and the agitation. I mean, I would give up my cushy, easy life now for that and both my arms and my legs to to be back there. But since I don't have that choice, the choice I make to your question is to realize that I have information that will be helpful to others. And that information, especially to parents is, do not just accept what's going on on the surface, dig deeper, dig deeper than I did. Although I was with Mallory 24 seven and I was always trying to sneak into her diary and I got to know her friends and I had them all over for dinner. So it's not like I could have really been any more invasive or present in her life but maybe I would have framed my questions differently. Maybe I would have not stopped when she stopped. Maybe I would have pushed a little harder. Um, I do know that there was not a lot of psychological support now. And now I hear that routinely there's shrink rounding as part of clinic, which is a huge, which is huge progress. I mean, the pain management, a lot of the issues that Mallory writes about, I wouldn't say they've been resolved. The shift change issue. I mean, they've just have moved forward. And so, Um, some of it's not as relevant as it was, but in general, I think that it's helpful to to have insight into somebody's story to know that maybe we are not digging deep enough to understand what people are feeling. So it was painful. I will say that.
0: Well, I, I do feel like that is also part of the power of it. And, you know, during my absence, maybe you discussed this, but really, with this shift in the CF community, and especially with the advent of modulators, there's almost like a disparity within our community now, right? The, the people benefit from it; the people cannot. And so, you know, part for me, the power of that film is that that is still current. And and we also know all many of those issues are not resolved. Some some places may have resolved it better than others. Um, but it is still really hard. And even for those people benefiting from modulators, it's multi-systemic. It is deep, deep mental health impacts that have been there for decades. People have lived with fear and insecurity and pain and burden of care for years and years and, you know, taking modulators isn't gonna make everything go away. And so I just feel like this film is so useful. And I love what you said, Becca, that sense of identification and shared experience and how empowering that is to feel less alone to to see that. Um, And I know now we're really winding down, but Becca, you on your own, you had seen this film and you were so moved by it that you coordinated or hosted a panel and showing at your university and, I'm just curious how that went and is this something that's taking off everywhere because I imagine people who would listen to this would think I want to do that too <laughs> to raise awareness and then you know linking it to more advocacy work with antimicrobial resistance.
3: Well the, you know I'm kind of like early in my academic career even though I'm in my 40s and so the great thing like Dan said is like this film is out there. So you know I'm sometimes like shy to approach people about things and my advisor you know, saw this on Twitter and knows that I work on CF and brought it up to me. And I said, yeah, absolutely, let's you know do a, a panel. And I'm really grateful to him for that. And I hope this is the first of many panels because this was an audience of bioethicists who work on genetics. And I think it was one of the huge highlights of this virtual conference where again, people came and saw it through their own lens, had the opportunity to ask questions and it really gave people a different perspective on what it means to live with a condition like CF and these inequalities within the community, that it's not all about sort of socioeconomic and ethnicity inequalities. It's about the fact that some people have a harder mutation to treat. Some people have microbes that are much more resistant. And so it was really valuable to bring that that to the group. And if I can just share one thing about, about Trikafta, Um, which I am benefiting from. Someone said, what's the worst symptom of CF these days? And this is a luxury to say this, but I have to say it's chronic worry about bacteria, picking them up somewhere in their environment, having even with Trikafta them not be treatable enough with current antibiotics. And so even benefiting this issue of AMR is the biggest thing I worry about and it impacts where I go, what I think about, you know, my, my worries about the environment and where I might be acquiring you know, new infections.
2: Well, I'm going to be absolutely 100% dragging you into this journey that I'm on because they, they, you know, Mallory has a great patient voice, but we need to engage people who have stories who are still in the fight. And I think that's really, really important.
0: Definitely. And CFRI is your partner in anything that you're doing, Diane, related to this. Well, you know, you're now sort of part of this for life. There's no leaving the CF community once you're in.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, let me let no me just say, California
0: of communities.
2: <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. When I it was it was when I was at the Amputee Coalition conference that I had this idea that we needed to because I was talking with the people from Carvex and PFID and and some of the other groups that are working on this AMR, and I realized they they're all wanting to use salt in my soul, and what I realized is to get their attention, we needed to have an AMR trailer. So I asked Will, I said, well, we got to recut a trailer trailer. And we, we, you know, as we always do, we start going at each other with, and then look at what it ended up with. I mean, cause, cause I don't even know if you remember Will, but you were like, no, we can't do that. And I'm like, we have to do it. And we, how are we going to do it? And back and forth and back and forth. And then I scripted something out and he's like, well, that's way too many words. And I said, well, it's not meant to be literal. That's meant to be kind of an arc. And then You know, somehow he reimagined the trailer. To me, it's, I mean, friggin, we're not allowed to swear. Brilliant. This trailer is brilliant, in my opinion, for introducing AMR to people who are a little bit aware of it, but not really understanding the consequences. And Rebecca, I'm going to, Rebecca, I'm going to tell you that I do a lot of really interesting things professionally. I do a lot of interesting things personally. I have an amazing life. I miss my daughter every minute of every day, but my life is really amazing. But AMR is what drives me. Because first of all, it isn't just using Mallory's story and her memory to change an issue, but I personally worry about AMR. I know too much to turn my back on it. That's the problem with doing a deep dive. I didn't do as deep a dive when Mallory was alive because I was way too busy taking care of her. I was living in the day-to-day struggles of her life, her existence, her insurance worries, her treatment plan. But now with the distance of perspective, I realize this is just a huge, huge global health problem. And it's funny, Siri, when you were off and I wanted Will to answer a question, he thought for sure I was gonna say to give a plug for his next film, which by the way is about the environment and climate
1: change. And, and, and actually stems is, is based around a character in Salt in my soul. So I'll just, I'll leave that little uh, teaser there.
2: But, you know, but what's interesting is I often find myself asking, which is a bigger problem, public health, because what's the point of saving the environment if you're going to die from all these, you know, infections and bacteria? But on the other hand, if you save yourself from these infections, but your world is, burning and you know it's on fire so it's a really interesting problem but I do think that um the fact that Will is when he's not working with me on this he's working on in climate change and environmental issues I think we're very lucky to have him as you know as a as a filmmaker who's made the decision to work on projects that actually mean something although he did do a kind of a I don't know what you call spine of the night but he did a very pop culture you know,
1: what do you call that? It it was an animated fantasy film that came out last year at Halloween. Diane was shocked that I was working on that at the same time as Salted My Soul. That's my that's my producing. So horror films and fantasy films pay the bills. Documentaries can change the world, so.
2: But he told me the funniest thing, which I thought was really sweet. He said that nobody ever,
1: that nobody you, had, really. You're about to tell a story about the director of that other film who I work with all the time and you shouldn't tell that story.
2: No, no, this is
1: about I'm you walking. Really
2: this is about you walking down the street and women saying they wanted to be your friend on Facebook because of salt in my soul.
1: Oh, it's it's true, it's true.
2: He told me that story and I was like, that's so sweet. He said when Spine of the Night came out, nobody, none of the women in the community wanted to befriend him but when Salt did, his wife's friends said, said a, friend, a friend request. So I was happy about that.
1: I need to come on to these conversations and stories about you, Diane.
0: <laughs> we'll have to have another one. <laughs> so with that, yes. This documentary is changing the world, it's changing the personal worlds of people, it's changing the global world, it's really leading to something that's so important and for people who are listening, we um, will be at CFRI sharing more ways on how to engage on this issue, Um, whatever Diane and Will are up to to promote this, uh, we are going to share that with you. Uh, we all have our piece of what we can do. And to, speaking to that, Diane, whatever you do, just lean in and engage because there are many areas where we need help. But with that, I want to thank the three of you for sharing your time, your perspectives, your expertise, your stories <laughs> uh, with all of us. And again, what a gift to the world is soul to my soul. And um We all have gratitude to Mallory and to you, Diane, for bringing her words to the world and to Will for you bringing them to visual life for all of us. So thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Diane.
2: Thank
1: you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.